This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. We are going to talk about Makas Arov and uh, in parts of the era. It's, it's a pretty crazy Maka, as you can possibly imagine. We're going to speak about one aspect of it. The Pusik says the following, If you do not send out my nation, I'm going to send against you and your servants and your people and your houses as the Arov, the wild animals, a mixture of wild animals. That's what's going to happen over here. They filled up the house of Mitzrayim as the Arov with these wild animals. Animals. And not only that, but even the ground that they were on were also filled with wild animals. So Rashi says this is referring to actual wild animals as well as snakes and scorpions, meaning lions, tigers, and bears, well, maybe not tigers, all in a huge mass that would destroy the Egyptians. He seems to say the word arov, it means the word mixture. Arov can mean irbuv, as in a mixture of all these different types of animals that went together. That's exactly what Targum Yonason says as well. Targum Yonason in New Zealand says it was a mixture of wild animals that went through. The Amloes said specific animals. There were lions, wolves, jackals, hyenas, bears, weasels, and leopards, snakes and scorpions, flies, gnats, and huge hornets, which spat poison at them, as well as a rehash of the frogs, including the crocodiles and lice as well. That they all came together in order to destroy the Egyptians. The Midrash Tehillim adds on the word panthers. That there were panthers that were there. I would assume this is a reference not to the mountain lion or cougar or pam, you know, like that, but like a black panther, which we know now is just a leopard that has melanism, that has some type of black thing on it, but it's the same thing as a regular leopard. Mishnah's Rebbe Eliezer says there were 12 animals, all mentioned in Yeshua not necessarily the ones over here, but there were those different animals over there. The Sefer Chaye Moshe says there were even leeches everywhere that were grabbing onto people that went into the water or went anywhere near the water. So if they went near the water, even the leeches were part of this mock over here. Torah Shlema says there were birds involved as well. I didn't see this anywhere else, but there were birds involved, like eagles, hawks, and others that would swoop down and grab them. One Medrash says they covered out the sky. They covered up the sky and blocked the sun so it was dark during the entire Maka. Victor Miller says many of these animals bit the Egyptians with rabies, made them a little bit crazy before they died. As we all know, obviously a person that gets bitten by a rabid animal, right, There's, there was no cure back then. They didn't know about the cure, right? So therefore, that's what happened to them. The Rashbam, however, says Arov only means wolves. There were no other animals aside from wolves. Now, he brings Araya from Yirmia and Sfania, where the word Arov seems to be refer- referring to only wolves. Now, the truth is, there are no real wolves that live around Egypt. So if we are talking about wolves, he's probably referring to hyenas, jackals, and African wild dogs. That's probably what he's referring to because there is no such thing. There are wolves that live in Israel, but not in the area that was known as Egypt back then. But it could be, who knows? Maybe there were wolves back then, especially if the Egyptians raised dogs as their own. They were one of the first to domesticate dogs. It could be they considered those wolves and those the ones that were there. He says the reason they're called Arov is because they work at night. They work at night and the word Erev is related to the word Arov. So Arov is referring to those who work at night, the wolves that were working at night. That's what he refers to over here. The Sefer Ayasher brings down there was even a creature called the Silonis that was involved in this maka, which may be an octopus or a squid. It's an animal described as having 10 ama long, that's 15 foot long arms, which went onto the rooftops 
and tore off the rooftops from where they were and unlocked the doors so that the chayos could get in. I think it really means that they tore off the doors that were there. It, it seemed to, that, that they removed the whole area so they couldn't lock it up afterward. So even if you were hiding inside a house, if this animal came near, it would destroy all the areas around. The measure may have been learned from the word uvavatecha. If you look at this, really, there's something that makes no sense here. Look at the wording. It says, I'm going to send against you and your servants, and your people, and your houses. How am I going to send against your houses? What does that mean? If you fill the houses, but that's the end of the passage, it'll fill the houses of Mitzrayim. How is he going to send something against the houses? The answer is, these animals are going to destroy the houses. They're going to go and destroy the houses that are there. Not only will they destroy the nation, but they're going to destroy the houses that they're around. That's the pshat, says the Sefer Yasher. And this animal was the one that went ahead and destroyed the houses themselves. The Torah Shlema brings the Sefer called the Chokmas Shlomo, and I can't tell if this is tongue-in-cheek or not. He brings in Perakid Aleph that there was a fire-breathing dragon that blew smoke from its nostrils that scared the Egyptians to death. I just can't tell if he's being serious or being facetious. I couldn't tell. I think he might be saying that it was as if God brought a fire-breathing dragon, but who knows? That's the idea that the Torah Shlomo brings down from over there. The Shach says there were seven species involved. It was sent specifically so he could, because only Akarish Baruch who can send these animals that normally can not be found in the same area together, he was able to send them together at the same time. Obviously, you're not going to find all these animals together at the same time in the same place. They're territorial. They despise the other types of animals. There's no way you're going to find, for example, a hyena and a lion in the same place that are not fighting each other. They're not going to deal well with one another unless you have a whole pack of hyenas, but then the lion goes away. In that sense, says the Shach, HaKadosh Baruch who sent this in a way where the animals were fine with one another and he didn't have to worry about them fighting each other. The bear Yosef says that's why this maka is called Arov and not Mishulachas. Because the miracle is not that the animals come. Animals come all the time. Animals fight all the time. That's not the issue. But that the animals came together all at once. That proves that the whole maka was a massive miracle set up by Hashem. Meaning the fact that they saw wolves fighting them or just lions fighting them or an eagle coming up against them. That was not that. That happens. That happens in everywhere. Wherever you are, these animals go through. But the fact that all of them came together, that was a shocker. That's something they couldn't understand. What's up, Frank? Meaning they came out of nowhere, because seriously, Egypt is in the middle of a desert, right, with a little area by the Nile Delta, so where could these animals have come from? That's the idea. It, it could be, I mean, if you're dealing with animals that should not have been there, then you're right. If you're dealing with animals that belonged in Egypt, then it's not as much of a shocker. You know what I'm saying? Like, then, then it wouldn't be as much. Reverse. I'm sorry, yeah, definitely, definitely, without a question, especially from the Miamloes. Rip Hirsch says there is no way Arov means a mixture of beasts, the way that Rashi says it. There's no way. That can't be what Arov means. Since a hay, at the beginning of the word, ha Arov, the mixture, makes no sense. There is no mixture of beasts that we already know about that you could say God sent the Arov. That makes no sense. It's just the idea doesn't make any sense over here. Rather, it comes from the word Arava. Arava means wilderness, that there were wild. There was a wildness that came into Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim, even though it was a fastidious land, a land that was perfectly fine with everything they had, they were very, very clean and very, very orderly, and they were able to keep the wild animals out, this land became a place of the wilderness. It didn't belong to anyone, but that's the word arov. It wasn't irvuv, as in a mixture of animals. It was an arov. It was a crazy area where all these things happened together. It made the wilderness attack them. It was as if they found themselves 
themselves in the middle of a jungle. That's where they were, and they, they had no idea what to do with themselves. That's where a person learns up the word arov. The Ksada Kabbalah says such a brilliant shot, and it just takes, it, it takes everything we know about Egypt and puts it into perspective here. There were wild animals that lived outside of Egypt, and the Egyptians knew them very, very well. Every Egyptian knew about these animals. They had hieroglyphics that we see today that display the strength of the animals, the power of the animals. When people would die, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, they used to have masks depicting the different animals and their powers and what they would do that showed what they were like. That was the Ravota Zara. They worshipped some of the strongest animals out there. We know about the sheep, but they worshipped all the wild animals, any animal with power the Egyptians treated as a little god. In fact, the Egyptians were the very first nation to have a zoo. There are archaeological findings that show that there was a zoo in the capital city, and for those who are Egyptian, I apologize, kind of going to butcher this name over here, of Hierakonopolis, of most 5,000 years ago. That's almost the beginning of our time. That's what it was. The first public zoo was opened by Queen Hatshepsut. I'm not so sure I said that right either, in 1500 BCE. That's how long ago there were zoos over there. They knew about these animals. They had them all around and what they had over there. Hashem wanted these animals, the ones that they knew, that the Egyptians always knew about, and they knew about their, that, what, how they were afraid of them and everything like that, that they feared so greatly, they would be the ones to inflict the maka. And that's why it says Ha'arov. See, Rashi, but the Rav Hirsch said, there's no way it could be the wild animals. There are no the wild animals. Says, says the Ksav HaKabbalah, there were. It was the animals that they knew. So what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He pointed to the sides of the throne room. He pointed to all the pictures of all the wild animals and all the masks and all the statues of all these wild animals. And he said, these, all of this is going to come into Mitzrayim and destroy you. All of this is going to be there. It was something they knew very, very well, and they all were scared of because they couldn't believe that all these animals could come together. That really stems from the word Rabbeinu Bechaya, where the hay, before the word Arav means, it was a plague that was known to them. It had happened before, and this thing had happened not only before once, it had happened many times, where there were a bunch of wild animals that came in and tried to destroy. And thus, there were no new animals created for this Maka. Nothing new. Everything was already around, just in different areas, and they came forth in order to destroy the Egyptians. Yeah, Ben? If, if this has already happened before, then how is it that this is showing... The... Not just... It happened before that there was a lion plague. It happened before that there was a, a hyena so plague. It was, it was like that. Together. Correct, correct. There's no question. The fact teaming. that all the animals together came had never happened before. But the fact that there were animals that came, that wasn't a shocker. That was, that's what it means by Haro. Yeah, there was groups of all the different wild animals that had come before. Then it seemed seems to say that it started from within their houses. How? Says the Nitziv, the Egyptians owned pets. They had pets, the rich ones especially. They had dogs in their houses. They had cats in their houses. They had birds, birds, maybe even little sheep and goats. I have no idea. But they had different pets that they kept inside their houses. According to the Nitziv, those were the animals that went crazy first. Those animals went nuts. The pets of their owners started biting their owners and destroying them. They acted rabid. They acted crazy. They bite, bit their masters. They wrecked havoc throughout the entire house, destroying the entire house. While on the outside, there were these terrible wild animals coming from everywhere trying to break in. So the Egyptians were like, you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. If you stay inside, your own dog is going to bite you, and you have to kill your own dog, your own pet dog that you raised from a puppy. They had to kill it. 
And then from the outside, all these animals were coming out, trying to get inside the house, so they couldn't even escape and go outside in order to get around. That's the reason why in Tehillim, it mentions all about the Maka of Aruv. And it says two things. When it says in Perak Ayin Ches, it says, Yishalach Bahem Aruv. The Aruv was sent against them. That was the domestic animals that came against them themselves, their pets. And then in Kufhei, it says, Vayavo Aruv. Other animals came from the wild and tried to get in. There were the ones that came in and the ones from within that went out. That's what ended up happening. Just think of yourself. If anybody here has pets, imagine your own animals coming up against you. Your own animals driving up against you and trying to fight you, right, to where you can't do anything about it. I have fish. I can't even imagine that. But the, the idea of what Aruv was, it was the scariest thing. And it was, it was emotionally scarring. Well, your own animals are trying to destroy you, right? <laughs> Try this dog food. <laughs> like, that's the idea of what it was. It was scary for all of them, like, like that chimp in Florida, right? right? That happened over there. The Malbim says these wild animals are always around. They always have the ability to kill. I, I, you see this once in a while where people take in a wild animal that they think they can tame, and they really can't. There's no way to be able to do it. I'm sorry? That's a good example of what happened with them. Right? With everything. That was a white tiger, right? The, chimp, the monkeys or things like that. It's, it's a scary thing that it's, in, it's instinctive within animals not to fight human beings. Not to want to go there. There are exceptions, we know. Right? But there are animals. It's supposed to be that way. And that's why they hide. In Kuf Dalit, in Borchinafshi, we say, Tizrach HaShemesh, when the sun shines, Yea Seifun. The animals go away. They hide away because they're not going to go away. What Akarish Baruch Hu did over here is he took away that instinct, the instinct that animals have not to fight human beings, God took that away, and they hunted, and they acted as if with impunity, as if nothing could get them. You'll see this sometimes, unfortunately, in places like India or Africa. I don't know if anybody's been to the bottom floor of the Field Museum. If you've been to that bottom floor, right outside of the mummy exhibit, if you go to the left, there's like a staircase. There's a lion there. I forgot what the name was, but it's one of the two lions that was eating tons of people. I think it was in the middle of Africa. And they had been known for, they claim, something like 300 deaths were caused by these African lions. That there were two of them there. They were male lions. They had beady red eyes. Beady red eyes. They didn't have a full mane. The mane was on the bottom, right? But they didn't have like a full mane on top. And they had killed only human beings. They weren't into killing anything but human beings. There's something like that. That was that it happens. I, I don't know if you know the saltwater crocodiles in India. There's supposedly a tiger. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? In India that, that is responsible for like 350 kills in India, people that are in India. It's just, it's crazy. At some point where that gets taken away, it's scary what these animals are capable of. It's scary what they have the ability to do. In the Midrash Sokhar Tov, it says, however, that the destruction these animals did was not killing. These makos were now about, not about killing. Dam wasn't about death. Tzvardeo wasn't about death. Kinim wasn't about death. It was about bothering them and giving them tsar. And so too these animals. They made them balimum. They destroyed them in that way. They bit off limbs or they made them in pain or they scared them out of their minds, but they did not kill them. Could be that some Egyptians died, but it was certain, it was like another thing. It was because they got a heart attack or something. That's what made them die as opposed to the wild animals actually killed them. They were there to maim them, to scare them, but not necessarily to kill them. That's the idea the Medrash Sokhar says. So why did Akadosh Baruch Hu send Aruf? Why was Aruf sent against the Jews? Why was sent against the Egyptians? What did they do to the Jews that caused this Maka to go to them? So we have a couple answers. Rashi says, in war, the first thing you're supposed to do is cut off the water supply. That's Maka's Dam. Then you blow the trumpets to make huge noises to scare the enemy into thinking that you're coming against them at a certain time. That's Sfardea. 
Eventually, this leads to, you know, making them dirty, etc. That's Kenem. Eventually, into this Makkah, where you send in your first troops, the barbarians, to make a first kill. They go in with a first little shot and then pull back. They go in and they pull back. They make the first little whatever. That's that. This is what Makas Orov is all about, to gauge the defendant's reactions and how to fight the real war when it's time to fight the real war. This is what the barbarians are there for, and that's what the wild animals represented. The question is, why Rashi brings this down now? Why not bring this down by Makas Dam? When we first started with the Makos, tell us why this is the order of the Makos. Instead, Rashi waits, past Dam, Tzvardea, Kinim. By Arov, he says, let me tell you the reason why we bring these Makos. Here is the reason, because of all this order, this is what we do at war. Why here? Why would you do it here? And the answer is, the Gurari says, because the first three Makos made sense. Dam, well, that's to the water supply in Egypt. That was something right there. Tzvardea, those frogs, lived in Egypt. That made sense also. Kinim was the dust of Egypt. Arov, however, was the first time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought things from outside of the land. To make the land destroy itself, I get. To bring things from without, within, why do that? What was the point of that? Why would you do that, says the Medrash, to do what the strategies of war are. You hire the barbarians to go in and do this. That's the idea behind it. Another reason why is because you would have thought frogs would be part of this Makkah. Why are frogs different from Arov? The frogs also croaked into whatever it was. Why are frogs not included in Arov? We said before that they might have also been included in Arov. But why weren't they? Says Verbasada, same thing over here. It was the strategies of war. First you make the noises, then you go in with the first kill. That's the idea behind it. But then comes the Moscow David. We said this before. It could be that Arov wasn't wild animals. It could be it was bugs like gnats and hornets and wasps and those things. It seems like as well. It's a machlokis, Rabbi Yudu, Rabbi Nechamia. Rabbi Yudu says it was wild animals. Rabbi Nechamia says it was all bugs, all these types of insects that came and stung them and did all these types of things. It seems that this is the machlokis. Was Makas Arov about death or was Makas Arov about punishments? Now, we said before, we just quoted the Medrash Sokhar that it wasn't a punishment of death. It was a punishment of hurting them. But then why bring lions and tigers and bears? What was the point of that? Says the Maskula David, it's exactly that. If you say that it was all about killing them, then of course you bring wild animals. If you're going to say that it was just for punishments, then what was the point of this maka? Why would you have brought it about? And says Rashi, here's the pshat, that it was a strategy of war. It was an idea that you bring about in war, and that's why Rashi brings that down over here. Okay, number two. Yalku Ruveni. This maka was because they were unfaithful. Mitzrayim was known as a nation that was into Arias. So the men and women were not careful about who they were married to. And since they intermarried or they were together with people that they shouldn't have been together with because that was happening, they mixed themselves up with relatives, married women, etc. And men, obviously. Therefore, they were punished with a mix of animals who weren't careful about who they were next to. They're going to act with Arias. We're going to act with Arias. HaKadosh Baruch who gave them the Makkah of a bunch of animals put together. In that sense, Arov is from the word Erva, so to speak. Somewhat related, but not exactly, where it is there to destroy the Arias that they had had. The Mishnah's Rebbe Eliezer says, when the Jews would finish their work, the Egyptians would make them raise their children and carry them around everywhere. They acted, the kids acted like animals, and they would have to carry them, one in one arm, the other in the other arm. One would grab one leg, the other would grab another leg, and another one would be hanging by his neck. And says the Medrash, what happened was, when they would go out to the Shuk during Makazarov, the animals would take one by one from every leg, from every arm, every part of the Jew. The Jew would be fine. 
but all the kids would be destroyed, says the Mishnah of Eliezer, because they made the Jews watch their kids and treated them without that respect, therefore this is what happened to them. That's the Mishnah of Rabbi Eliezer. Medrash Gadol says, after they finished their work for the day, their quota for the day, they were told to go out, the Jews were told to go out to the fields and capture wild animals for sports. The Egyptians, I don't know if they had some type of some, some, you know, the same like sport things that the Romans had, like the, the huge, uh, what do they call them? The Colosseums, etc. I don't know if they had something like that, but apparently they trapped wild animals in order to bring them in. Maybe for these zoos that we were talking about. Maybe that's why they brought in these animals over here for their amusement, their enjoyment. Because the Jews were not ready to go out there, they didn't have the proper equipment to catch a lion or a bear. Many Jews got killed going out into the field trying to trap these wild animals. Because it did that, therefore, Mita Kenegabita Hashem sent the wild animals to the Egyptians and sent them to them instead. Number five, the Yalkut Teiman. This is the Yemenite Yalkut. It's a medrash brought from the Yemenites. It says it a bit differently. They brought wild animals so the Egyptians would worship them. They would use that as a worship. And because they were using it for a Bodhisattva, Midi Kinegamidia, the wild animals, their own gods, destroyed the Egyptians instead. They would bring the wild animals in in order to worship. It could be, by the way, that according to this shot, if this is all true and we know that Egypt was known for their zoos or they had these zoos, maybe the whole point of the zoos by Egypt was in order to keep the animals around so they could worship them. That what zoos used to be, it's not like now, you go in, you put your kid on your, you know, you have a little balloon and you go in or whatever it is. It was all there to worship the gods as you walked around. You worship the lion god, and then you worship the hippo god, and then you worship the rhino god. Maybe that's what they did. Maybe they served it that way, yeah. If you worship a god, isn't it possible the god will get pissed at you and then you should attack you? Why? Because the god's upset with you. Oh, yeah, so keep it in a cage, and then you'll be okay. It's a Oh, you mean you, you keep the lion around because it's around. Maybe the spirit of the lion is what you want, but not the lion itself. The lion itself is the embodiment of evil that's surrounded by the God that's behind it. I'm getting a little too deep, but possibly, right? That's the reason why they did it, so they, they kept it in. If it was because it was their gods, then why would they think it was Hashem's doing and not their gods doing? Meaning their own gods yeah, were getting them? Their own them? god was getting them, not Hashem was because, getting Because, again, they're coming together at the same time, so, so it's weird. Oh, wait, no, hold once. on. Wait, 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 you don't need that. Because Moshe Rabbeinu told them this is what's happening. That's the reason why. Because Moshe Rabbeinu provided the information before anything happened, and he already done dumb Sfardi and Kenim. I hear that, but yeah. I'm sorry? He's tight with, but he said it's from Hashem. And what about Dom Sverde and Kenan? What about those? Okay. Like he'd already done. It's not like Moshe Rabbeinu gets up and he's just like, God's come, unite. Like it's not like that happened, right? He calls the other Makos and then this is like an added one to over here. The Shach says that they killed many Jews without caring whatsoever. And Noah, in Parshas Noah, it says, the Chayos, Miyad Chaya Adroshenu, those who murder, I'm going to take revenge through the Chayos themselves. Therefore, since they gathered in these big issues and they tried to discuss how to kill the Jews, I Hashem sent the Chayos against them. That's what he did in order to destroy them. That's what he ended up doing. Mihamloy says a weird one. I don't know. He says they made them cook milk and meat together. So therefore the meat took revenge on them. I mean, honestly, it's better than milk taking revenge against you, right? But I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means, that the milk and meat, that the meat took revenge, that's what the buster was. I have no clue. That I don't get whatsoever over here. Mianishu says because they tried ruling the Jews, the Jews are like animals, Yud is a lion, Binyamin's a wolf, etc., all those different things. So Hashem sent those very wild animals against them. And finally, well, the Meashiloch, we don't need this whole thing. There was a tikkun for all this, etc., but that's the Meashiloch over here. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about, which really has a lot of stuff on it, is what does it mean, the Esau Dama Asheri Malehel? 
that not only the Arov came, not only wild animals came, but also the land that they were on. What does that mean, the land that they were on? What, what, what's they? The land that they were on. What's they? The land that the Egyptians were on? The land that the animals were on? What does that mean exactly? So the Ibn Ezra and the tour says, wild animals were everywhere. Not just the inhabited areas where the houses were, but even the fields, the lands, wherever the Egyptians ran to, wherever they were, the wild animals were there. There was no place to escape. You could not go anywhere. The only place where you could go, says the Nitziv, was Goshen. If you went to Goshen where the Jews were, there were no wild animals there. Then Divrei Shol says even in Goshen, the wild animals went wherever the Egyptians were. But either way, regardless, there was no way to go. That's Hadoma Asher Hamalel. The wild animals were even on the ground where the Egyptians were. Haim was the Egyptians. Wherever the Egyptians were, the wild animals followed. It was as if they had a homing device. And every single Egyptian, that wherever he went, the wild animals followed them, found them, and killed them. That's what it was going to be over here. That's according to Ibn Ezra and the tour. Rav Hirsch says they even fled into the, the, the country. They fled the cities because all the animals were in the cities. But they fled the cities. They ran everywhere else and went into the wild where they thought, well, if all the wild animals are in the cities, then there's nothing in the field. But it was worse there. In the fields, the animals were hiding. They were lying in ambush. In the cities, they were walking around the streets. But in the fields, it was even scarier. They're walking around in the fields and there were tigers and lions hiding in the bushes, hiding in the brush, waiting for them to come in. And then they grabbed them while they were outside. In the cities, they were scary in the streets. This was even scarier because you felt like you were being hunted, says Rav Hirsch. That's again, wherever the Egyptians went, that's where these animals were. The Orachim says this as well, the same basic idea. The Sforno says a little bit differently. He says, it's not the land where the Egyptians were. It's the land where the houses were. Even the land that the houses were on were filled with wild animals. Now, what does he mean by that? Sforno says, there was vermin, rats and mice, living in the thickness of the ground. So even when they felt secure in their houses, when they felt like, oh, we're fine, we're sitting in our house, we got the doors locked, the roof over our heads, we don't have to worry about any of the wild animals, all of a sudden coming up from the ground below were these rats and mice and moles and whatever else could come up from the ground, they started pouring into the house. Can you imagine rats running into your home everywhere? You know what the scariest thing in the world is? There was, a, there's a, there was an article not too long ago that I saw in Reader's Diary, I don't remember where, and it said it's very easy for a rat to climb through the sewer system and to come out into your toilet. Extremely easy. It just has to happen. Does that scare the living daylights out of you? I, do, I haven't gone to the bathroom since then. It's been three years. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. That's the, most, that's the scariest thing in the world. For them to have that, and all the animals just coming out from the ground itself, says the Sforno, they were scared on their mind. They didn't know what to do. Couldn't go outside. There were all the wild animals there, but you couldn't stay inside because of that. The hay, it was like whack-a-mole. It was like an actual whack-a-mole, right? That's what you're really playing in your house the whole day. According to that, hay is their houses. Where Chaim Knievsky says it was snakes, along with the moles, etc. The Malbim says as well that the animals started digging in. They couldn't get in the traditional way, right? They couldn't open up the door because they didn't have that ability. So they started digging underneath the ground. The badgers would go underneath the ground. Maybe the wolves would go underneath the ground and they'd find themselves inside. They would be able to get in. So even the Adoma Shemelei, even the ground that they were on, were filled with the animals trying to destroy them, says the Malbim. The Ksav HaKabalah seems to say it from the Pasuk itself. It says the word Vigam HaAdoma Shemelei. So if I ask you, what does the word Gam mean? Also, right? He says gum is the Aramaic word guma. Guma is a hole making a pit. 
means, and they dug the ground, Asher Himalel, that the houses were on. They dug into the ground. It doesn't mean, and also they were on the ground as well. It means, and they dug into the ground that the houses were on. That's how you read the Pasuk. The way to read it is crazy now. You read it as literally, they filled up the houses and they dug into the ground underneath the houses. That's what they ended up doing. That's how the Ksavah Kabbalah understands it, that the Guma is referring to that. There's a Sefer Tzapnas Paneach. It's put together by Menachem Kasher, but it's originally from the Regina Rebbe. So he says, he quotes a Gemara in Pesachim, Nun Bezim and Bez, that animals in one area do not eat the fruits of another area. If you feed it the fruits of Chicago and it's not from Chicago, then it's not going to do well. Now, that's true in many ways. In Lincoln Park Zoo, when they first opened their uh, Kovler uh, seabird house, the penguins and the seabirds, this is in like the 60s or the 70s. I don't remember exactly when. When they first opened it, they brought in like 16 penguins and like a bunch of seabirds and they had it. And if anybody remembers the old Lincoln Park Zoo, now the Japanese macaques are in that area. But in the old Lincoln Park Zoo, if you go in, it was like this little house and you had penguins on one side you had the seabirds on the other, and you walked in and out right from one side to the other. So what they used to, they used to have a bunch of things in there. They woke up one day, the zookeepers, they walked in, every single bird was dead. Every single penguin, every single seabird was dead. And they couldn't figure out why. They did, they did a toxicology report afterward, and they realized they were feeding them fish from Lake Michigan. And all of these birds were used to, they were used to the fish that are found by Antarctica all the way down. The, the, the types of toxins, the amount of vitamins that they got from the, from the fish that were in Antarctica were completely different from the toxins and all the different types of vitamins that you get from the fish in Lake Michigan. Anybody who has a pet and gives them the right type of food knows you got to give it food that it's used to. If you give it something different, they're going to die. If you have saltwater fish, you've ever had saltwater fish, you have to feed saltwater fish specifically what that fish eats in the wild or something similar to it. If it doesn't eat it, it'll die. It won't eat anything. That's a big thing with keeping eels in your house. If you ever have an eel, a saltwater eel, it's very hard to feed them because they only eat what they would normally eat in the wild. You can't feed them anything else. So because of that, that's what happened. They kept doing it. If this is what happened, the animals that were there, if they would have eaten the Egyptian food, these are animals from all over. They came from all over the different lands. If they would have eaten the Egyptian food, they would have gotten sick. They wouldn't have been able to fight because they would have died from all the different foods that they would have had to eat over here. So therefore, these animals needed their own land. They brought the food. They brought the land that the animals were on. Haim is not the people, the Egyptians, or the houses. They brought the land that they were on. They brought food from their homes. It's as if they had like bags, sacks, like little bindles, you know, like the hobo bindle, you know what I'm talking about? You know, the little stick with like a little thing on it. Like all the animals came together with the little bindles, holding everything, bringing it in, right? In order to like, okay, I'm going to set this down over here. Now I've got to scare some Egyptians. And they would go back home and they would eat their own food as opposed to the food in Egypt itself. Not that any of these makas have to be explained in a natural fashion. There's no reason they have to do that. But since, obviously, I could do whatever he wants. But maybe if there is a mass exodus of prey from the land south and east of Egypt, if a Kaddish Baruch who caused it, that all of the animals that were the prey of these wild animals ended up going up north toward Egypt, that they all went together to the Nile Delta to feed, if there was a huge famine down in the savannah, and there was a drought, and there was no water anywhere, so they had to go to the Nile Delta in order to feed, then it makes sense that all of the predators would follow suit. 
That would cause all these crazy predators to be found in an area together with all of their prey, an area where everything would go crazy because they're all in the wrong places, feasting on the domestic animals of the Egyptians and all of their stuff as well as the Egyptians themselves. That would make sense that that's what they were doing. They weren't used to the food that was out there because they just, they were totally off. Everything was totally off. It's a way of understanding it, but I don't think we need a natural way to explain any of these makas. The Maral Diskin and the Tosefis Bracha said the idea in a different way. Bechoros Tassamad Aleph. Has anybody seen that Gemara with Rabbi Yeshua and the men of Athens, where he brought the men of Athens to the Caesar? The Caesar at the time was Trajan. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No? You don't know what I'm talking about. It's an awesome Gemara. When you learn Bechoros, because everybody here does Kajim, Daf Chesimudbeis, one of the greatest Gemaras, where Rabbi Yeshua gets into a fight with the men of Athens, and they argue in riddles. They argue in riddles. Tremendous Maharal, tremendous grod that explains that Gemara. In fact, the river, uh, not the river of the kettle in the burden, no, not that one. Um, the juggler and the king. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You haven't read it? Has anybody here read it? Seriously? Okay, people, you have homework. <laughs> Go find the juggler and the king. The juggler and the king's awesome. Half of the book is on the Gemara in Bechoros, Tafchasim Beis. The other half is in Baba Basra with Ayin Gimel, with all those, the Rabba Barachana Gemaras. It's awesome Gemara. It explains like everything about life, like how the men of Athens, the Greek Chachamim, were arguing with Rabbi Yoshua about our Torah, what their arguments were, and Rabbi Yoshua's answers back. It was awesome stuff, like actual like philosophy versus Torah, and the Grand Amara will explain what our answers are to, to those philosophical questions. It's awesome. It's a really, really awesome book. And it's really, it's in English, it's the English version of those Svarim on that Gemara. It's awesome. In that Gemara, at the very end, he convinced the men of Athens, Rabbi Yeshua convinced the men of Athens to come with him to Rome. He brought them with, and he brought them into the Caesar's palace. This is either Hadrian or Trajan. It's one of the two. One of the two Caesars. And he brought them in. And Hadrian or Trajan looked at them and said, these are not the men of Athens. They have no audacity. They're, they're people that were known to be big chachamim. I don't see that in them. And Rabbi Yeshua turned to him and said, it's because they're not on their proper land. He brought out dirt that he had taken from Greece, and he put it down underneath the feet of the Greek people, these Greek chachamen. He put it underneath their feet, and they sat there, and then they started blaspheming the king. And the king's like, oh, this is them. And then he killed all of them. Right? <laughs> he realized it was them. They wouldn't be strong until they were actually standing on their own ground, not until they actually stood on their ground. In Erevin, Pe'alaf Amad Aleph says, a dog without his town, meaning if a dog goes somewhere that it's not used to, it takes seven years for it to bark. Seven years for it to get, I don't know if it's dog years, dog years, but seven years for it to get used to its surroundings and start to bark again. That's the idea about it. In Sota, Memalaf, Rav and Shmuel argue. Remember when Elisha pulled out those 42 bears? It's not Memalaf, by the way, it's Memzayin. Does anybody have Memzayin? Oh, that's a mistake. It's Memzayin and Memalaf. That's a mistake. Either way, we see from Rav and Shmuel that there was a miracle within a miracle. There were 40, there were two bears that came to eat the 42 kids. You know what I'm talking about? Guys, what do you do in seminary? Honestly? What did you do? When you went to Darkabina, Michlala? What happened to you? Seriously. There was an unreal story. Elisha heals the waters. There's, there's these waters that are all bitter, right? And Elisha goes and heals them. As he's walking out of the city, these kids, these 40, I don't want to say kids, 42 young men who were in charge of bringing water from another town, they would bring the city water. Well, they just lost their jobs because all the water is sweet now. So they just lost their jobs. They ran up to Elisha and they said, get out of here, Baldy, get out of here, Baldy. Ali Kerach, Ali Kerach. They yelled at him. So Elisha saw this brazenness of these 42 kids and he said, you're calling me Baldy? He calls out two bears 
and the two bears eat all 42 kids. Yeah, I don't suggest that for many people. But he did that. That's what he did. He, they ended up eating all 42 kids. So all 42 kids were destroyed. By the way, as a side note, Chazal tell us that those 42 kids were all killed because of a promise that was given over by Bullock and Bilaam. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Bullock and Bilaam ended up giving 42 korbanos to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem said, because you brought 42 korbanos in order to kill the Jews, I won't allow you to kill these Jews, the ones in the Midbor, but 42 Jews will die. You're going to cause 42 kids to die. So that's through Bullock and Bilaam. So that was given over to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, it's not going to be in my time. So he gave it to Yoshua. Yoshua said, not in my time. Asneel ben Kenaz, not in my time. Ehud ben Gera, not in my time. Shammik ben Anas, not in my time. It went down and down and down to Dov- Shmuel Anavi, not in my time. David Amelach, not in my time. Keeps going until the times of Elisha. And Elisha's like, now, now. He saw the 42 kids. He's like, it's going to happen right now. And the two bears were, Bar- were Balak and Bilam. There were Gilgulim of Bullock and Bilam that came and ate those 42 kids for the 42 korbanos that they brought. It's a rush in Parsha's Bullock that brings that down that it came from over there. You know what happened? <coughs> the Gemara says over there, it was a nes besoch nes. It was a nes besoch nes. Not only did the bears come out of nowhere, not only the bears, but a forest came out of nowhere and surrounded the bears. Why did a forest have to come out of nowhere and surround the bears? The bears would never fight if they found themselves in a weird place. They had to come with their environment. So it wasn't only the bears that showed up out of nowhere. It was the forest that came with the bears. It was a nespesoknes. Because bears won't fight if they're feeling weak. They had to come with the land they were on. So too with these animals. A polar bear is not going to fight without a frozen tundra. So the polar bear brought the frozen tr- tundra. The gorilla wouldn't fight without its jungle. So the gorilla brought its jungle. Throughout all of Mitzrayim, the climate changed. There were certain areas that were frozen. There were certain areas that became jungle. And the land that they were on, that the animals were from, came with the animals themselves. They all brought it with them. So that all the animals would be confident in their abilities and destroy. What's up, Oz? You're right. Obviously, it would be even more so. But maybe there would still be a timidity from a natural animal to do such a thing that you wouldn't find in any other place. It's a good call. Maybe they still felt it. And therefore, they needed it. They felt, or it happened to be, that in the end, this is what was necessary for them, and they ended up getting it. Crazy, right? Give me one second. The Chavetz Chaim says, that's why Paro wasn't worried about the animals. He said, listen, if they're wild animals from my area, I know how to defeat them. I can defeat the animals that I'm used to. If it's animals from somewhere else, they're not going to feel like they're going to destroy anything because they're not used to my land. If they're not used to my land, they're not going to be able to do anything. That's why they weren't worried about anything. But when they brought their own ecology, when they brought their own areas that they were from, there was nothing they could do. That's the crazy part behind it. And that's the says the Bar Yosef, the land was destroyed because the climate changed. There was a massive climate change that destroyed everything after that. We know that's what happened. That's what happened over here as well. Then we have our final shot. What's up, Ben? Um, if, if that's the case that the, the land came with them, then it, they weren't really, they weren't mixed up the way it seems from before. They were still in the same areas. They were still in the same areas, but I mean, if you were, the polar bear couldn't be next to the jaguar. Yeah, two different climates. that was the cool part. I, listen, I, I don't know if it's entirely true. I wish I could have brought the picture of Gadi Pollock from the Haggadah. You know what I'm talking about? The, the colorful Haggadah? No, not our school. No, 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 no. The Chait Haggadah. The Gadi Palak Haggadah, it's the greatest pictures of all time. You mamish cannot hold a Pesach without it. The greatest pictures. In that Haggadah, it has all the animals together. Like one has a little forest with it, a jungle with it. The other one has like a savanna with it. The other has like a polar bear exhibit with it. Like they're all together, but in the same area. That's how I picture it. Could be, could be not. Chanukah Satira. That's quoted by the Chidah. Nitzutze Shimshin. The Groh. 
Chsam Sofer in the name of his Rebbe, Reb Nussan Adler. The Maril Diskin and the Tosefis Bracha. All six Pirushim say the exact same shot. They all say, there's a rash in Mesechta Kilayim, Perek Ches Mishnehe, that says there's a wild animal called the Adne Hasode, or the Yidoni, that grows out of some type of gourd from the ground. That there's a pumpkin in the ground, and it has a tendril that grows from that gourd. And on that gourd is a type of creature. That creature either looks like a human being or some sheep that has no wool on it. It looks like some woolly, that, that some non-woolly type of human-like creature that grows from this gourd. And that way he's called the Avne Hasada, the Adne Hasada, the master of the ground or a stone of the ground, so to speak. There's no way to get close to this creature. If you come close to it, it'll tear you apart with its claws. However, you can shoot arrows at the tendril, at the little belly button thing that this thing grows from, and if you shoot it until it goes away, all of a sudden, then the creature is destroyed. Even that creature came to Makasarov. But the problem, Paul, is how could it be there at Makasarov? It needs the ground that it was on. So what happened? The animals came with the ground that it was on. Even this animal that could not move without the pumpkin, without the gourd, it dragged the gourd all the way with it, brought it to Mitzrayim, and destroyed the Egyptians with that gourd that it was on. It's an unbelievable shot. This animal, by the way, nah, I, I can't tell you much about it. The Pharisee Israel says that our, he doesn't understand how it eats. If it gets all of its nourishment from the stomach, then why does it have a mouth? But the Rash himself says that it fed from the grass around the gourd. So that is weird. I don't know where it gets its actual food from. The Pnei Moshe also says it as well. Maisa Tuvyu was a doctor who lived about 350 years ago, said he went around to look for this creature, and he heard that in the Territoria Hagadola, which are the areas of about Zaire and Niger and Nigeria in Africa, in that area there was a creature called the Boromitz, B-O-R-O-M-I-T-Z, although he wrote it in Yiddish, right, the Boromitz, that was attached to a gourd in the ground, but it looked more like a sheep than a human being, right? And it was somewhat dangerous, whatever it was, but I don't know. I, honestly, we, we, we don't know any creature like this whatsoever. If somebody would find it for me, that would be awesome, absolutely awesome. But there's nothing that you can find that really shows that something like this is around there. It had horns, its blood tastes like honey, by the way, and its flesh tastes like fish, which is always good. You've got to love that. Partisiosis says there are other animals. Anybody know the half-dirt, half-mouse creature that's brought out there? It's brought down in a Mishnah in Chulin and in Sanhedrin, Sadi Aleph, Amad Aleph. It's mentioned in both those places. Maybe that animal, in order to come, needed the ground that it was on. And maybe, Rechaim Knievsky says, in Yoridesim and Pei Sif Tes Vav says there's a type of bird that's attached by its beak to a tree. Awesome, right? That bird, in order to come, needed the tree that it was on. How these animals exist, whether they really existed, I have absolutely no idea. I would love to think that they existed at one point in time. It's very, very hard for us to understand that. And if somebody tells me, Rabbi, I don't believe in this creature, I'll tell you, you're a Russia gummer and you're going to Gehenna. But then I'll tell you, I hear you, dude. I totally hear you. <laughs> I totally hear you. I hear you. This is not one of those things. I don't think you're going to go straight to Ganem. You'll probably pass go and collect $200 before going to Ganem if you tell me you don't believe in this creature. Okay, I'm okay with that. You probably will get free parking. Yeah, you might be able to also get... Br- maybe, maybe you'll get that hotel on Boardwalk and Park Place that you've always been asking for, right? It's possible you'll be able to get it, right? That, that might be that. Maybe that's Trump. Maybe Trump doesn't believe in this creature. That's the possibility. President Trump... Possibly. We'll stop with this, though, guys. What we did was we spoke about, number one, what Arov consisted of. Then we said why Arov ended up coming to Kla Yisrael. And then we said why they had to come with the land that they were on. Either it was the land that the Egyptians were on or the land that the houses were on or the land that the animals were on. And we gave a dump, different bunch of different shots for that. Shkai